Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. Hi, guys. This is my, my first uh, online message, so this will be, be fun. I'm excited, and... Uh, I'm particularly excited about this message, and I'm also going to be um, leading the one next week, which is about overcoming fear. And uh, when Jared asked me if I would lead these two, um, even he said that it was two that he thought that I could identify with the most. So I'm excited to share with you this morning um, about how we can we can overcome labels. And, and first, I just wanted to start off by kind of, you know, we all know what labels are. Um, but I just wanted to give a little bit of a definition just so we can all be on the same page. So a label in this sense is a classifying phrase or name applied to a person or a thing, especially one that is inaccurate or restrictive. Sometimes labels can be positive, but more often than not, labels that we attach to ourselves or that we have adopted tend to be um, not so positive and negative in our lives. So um, for the sake of labels, I'm just gonna do a brief introduction. Most of you know me, um, but for any of our online friends that are watching along with us, just some labels that I identify with. Um, I am a wife, I am a mother, I'm a leader in our church, I'm a sister, I'm a daughter. Uh, Monday through Friday, I assume the title of human resource coordinator at my work. Um, I'm a fur mom to my lovely dog Gizmo. And um, I'm also, I battle with anxiety. I also sometimes struggle with fear. And occasionally I am an insecure person, even though I try to hide it, I deal with insecurity. And so those are some titles that um, I have adopted over my life, some positive and some not so positive. Um, so what I want you guys to do real quick, a brief exercise as I'm talking, I want you to grab a piece of paper, a pen, your phone, your laptop, whatever you can just write a little note down on. And I want you to write down three words that describe yourself, describe yourselves in an inaccurate or a restrictive way. So like, like I said, I am fearful, I have anxiety, and I'm also an insecure person. So three words that you struggle with, three words that inaccurately describe yourself or are restrictive to who you are. Don't worry, we're not gonna read these out loud. I'm not gonna make you read them to the entire world out there. These are just for you, but we are gonna come back to them later. So I'm gonna go through some other titles that we um, label ourselves with, but just take a note, write it down, keep it to yourself, and we'll come back to that a little bit later. So with labels, I asked some people um, some of their labels, and I also just put some that I know that a lot of people would describe themselves at. So a lot of times when you ask people to describe themselves, their first thing that they begin with is their appearance. So they would describe themselves as, I am tall, I'm short, I'm decent looking, I'm handsome, um, I'm a very fit, healthy person, I'm fat, I'm overweight. Um, maybe they describe themselves as being a trendsetter or perhaps a nerd. Uh, a lot of times people will describe their personality. This is a very common one. I'm a very outgoing person, or I'm a shy person. I'm an introvert, or I'm an extrovert. I'm likable, or maybe you would describe yourself as a loner. Sometimes it comes out in a life situation. 
like I mentioned, I'm a mother or a husband, um, single, divorced, I'm wealthy or I'm poor. Hobbies are a lot of times that we will also describe ourselves. So I'm a gamer, I'm a knitter, I'm a blogger, I love to read, um, I love to bike, I love to hike, I like to be outdoors. Those are hobbies that sometimes we describe ourselves at. And then sometimes if you're in a really comfortable situation, you get a little bit deeper and you begin to describe things from the inside. I'm successful. I'm a failure. I'm a good person. I'm constantly screwing up. I can't get my life together. I don't know where I'm going in life. Those are sometimes the deeper levels. And labels are something that we adopt from a very young age. And I was trying to think about my first encounter with a label. And the first one that I could really come up with that was kind of a um, negative label in my life was when I was in first grade, my parents made the decision to homeschool me. And uh, there was a lot of reasons why um, that decision was made. So from first through eighth grade, I was homeschooled. And I didn't think anything of it. I was a kid. You know, we had homeschooling groups that I was a part of. So I had friends that I was with. And it never really seemed to bother me until I got older. And as I got older, when, I, when people would be like, hey, where do you go to school? And I would say, oh, I'm homeschooled. It automatically came with the label of people assuming that I was uneducated or that I was some country bumpkin out in the middle of nowhere who really didn't have any interaction with people, that I wasn't socialized because I was homeschooled. You know, they just had these different personas of why they assumed I was how I was because I had the label of being homeschooled. And when I was younger, it didn't affect me, but as I got older, it really stuck with me. So it got to the point, and we had named, we had named our school because we had to put it on, um, you know, different certifications and stuff. And we lived out in the country, so our, the title of my school was Cedar Ridge Academy. And, uh, and so when people would ask where I went to school, I got to the point where I no longer wanted to tell them I was homeschooled because I knew the questions and the assumptions that would come with it. And so instead, I would just say, oh, I go to Cedar Ridge Academy. Um, it's a private school. You probably really haven't heard of it. And that's how I kind of adapted to it because I was tired of the questions that people would raise and it really stuck with me. It was something that almost became something I was ashamed of, even though I had no reason to, but it was because of those labels that people had attached to me being homeschooled. Even now as an adult, people make fun of it and I'm well past it now, but it's just one of those things that people, you know, attach labels to. And the problem with labels is that our labels are something that carry our value. It's something that we attach ourselves to. And so if labels are negative, we attach our value to those labels. And so the longer we carry a label, the less it becomes about how it describes our past and how it becomes more about how it determines our future. So it's not so much about the label of our past and what, um, you know, what it was that created that, that label in our past, but now that label begins to assume the path of our future. So if it was a negative label, we begin to think that that's how our future is going to outline itself because we've attached ourselves to that label. And we carry all types of labels. We've already talked some about these, but, you know, we carry some positive labels. Maybe you carry the label of being a hard worker, of being talented, being loved, but then we have those that aren't so positive that start to describe us and begin to outline our future, how we see ourselves and how we feel like we should be treated or viewed. 
And some of those would be things like unloved or your disappointment, your failure, you've been divorced, you're a misfit, you're inadequate, you're unwanted, you're weak. Or maybe your, your label is that you're a doubter. You have trouble doubting your faith. You have trouble finding confidence in your faith. And so that's kind of the label that you've adapted. And I don't know what your specific label is. I don't know, you know what, what you've attached yourself to, but the problem is it becomes less about the past and more about what you look towards in the future. So it's very, it's very important that we take and put our labels in check for the future so that they don't start to outline who we are. Because the thing is with labels is if you attach yourself to a negative label, that's all you're going to see. So for instance, if you have been labeled and see yourself as a failure, you'll never want to try new things because you're always going to be confident that when you try something new, you're going to fail at it. It's not going to work out because it's going to be like the last couple times you tried. So you'll never want to try anything new. If you are labeled as weak, you'll never ask for respect. You'll never demand respect. Instead, you'll assume that you're always supposed to be weak and be on the low end of the totem pole. If you've labeled yourself as unloved, and that's the label you have adopted over your life, then you will constantly look for love in unhealthy places because you don't believe that you deserve a healthy love. And so today, our main focus is going to be learning to overcome the lies of labels. And so we're going to be focusing on a story in the Bible that's found in Mark chapter 2. And there's just a couple passages that we're going to be focusing on. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a summary of this, um, since there's really only one verse that we'll really be focusing on um, in this passage. But you can go ahead, if you have your Bibles or your smartphones, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 2. And we're going to be focusing on verse 5. But first, I'll give you a little bit of summary. So we're going to talk about a man um, that's found in this story. Now, the Bible doesn't actually give him a name. Um, so we never know what his name is, but I personally identify better when I have a name for someone because it just helps me kind of relate to them a little bit better. So this guy doesn't have a name, but we're going to call him Sammy so that we can have a chance to get to know Sammy a little bit better. And in this story, we don't know Sammy's name and we don't know a lot about Sammy's past, but what we do know about him is that he is paralyzed. And so being paralyzed and having this physical disability it's almost guaranteed that he has spent his life being stuck in an endless cycle of labels that he has been called, that he has adopted, that he has identified with. Things like physically broken, unemployable. Back then, they didn't have a lot of the technology that we have now. A matter of fact, probably none of it. And so there weren't things like handicapped accessible jobs. So he's paralyzed. He doesn't have a wheelchair. He doesn't have a way to get anywhere. So most likely he wasn't employed which means that he was a beggar. And so that was a title that he probably took on, was a beggar, always constantly begging for money to help feed himself, to take care of himself. He was probably also labeled a burden because he couldn't do anything himself, so he would constantly have to rely on other people to help him. You know, even if he did get money from begging, he probably needed to give that money to someone to go buy him food or to help get him dressed or to help take care of himself. So he would have been known as a burden. He more, more um, he probably was likely known also as a sinner. And this is another thing with, with this time back then when someone had a physical ailment of this magnitude, 
or when someone, you know, paralyzed, sick, we've seen it many times in the Bible, it was assumed that either they had had committed such a sin or that someone in their family had committed a sin that it had been passed down. And that's why he was paralyzed because of his sin or because of a sin of a family member that was passed down. So people probably whispered behind his back, you know, saying, oh, he's a sinner. He's a beggar. He's a burden. You know, he can't even get a job. He's just broken. These are labels that Sammy had. And so Sammy is a perfect example of what I mentioned earlier of someone whose labels are now beginning to determine their future. Because how can you see past that when all you're called and all you're identified with are these labels? And so when we pick up in this story, we won't read through the whole thing, but what's happening here is that Sammy, as we know, is paralyzed. And so Jesus is in his town and he is preaching um, to the people like he often would do. He would go from town to town, city to city, and he would just share his stories, his parables, his love with people. And so he's at a nearby house and Sammy's buddies are like, you know what? Jesus is in town. And we've heard some pretty cool things about this Jesus. We know that he can heal people. We know that, that he prays for people, that, you know, people can be changed. So you know what, Sammy, we're going to take you to Jesus and we're going to see what Jesus can do for you. And so they create this mat, a stretcher, and they put Sammy on it and they begin to carry Sammy to this house. Well, when they get there, they discover that this house is completely packed. I mean, it's not just the inside of the house, but there is a line outside it is surrounding. If it was just one of them, you know, they could probably do that kind of duck, crotch, you know, crawl down, get in between people, work their way to the front. But they have, there's several of them, and they have this paralyzed guy on a mat. And so they realize there is no way for them to get into this house to see Jesus. And so they come up with a plan that they're going to go up to the roof of this house, and they're going to lower Sammy down from the roof. This is pretty crazy. Imagine this, like you're, you know, they've got a paralyzed guy on a mat, so this isn't an easy feat to get him on top of the roof of this building, but then they're going to dig a hole in the roof. Now, it's a little bit easier then than it is now, because a lot of the houses then were would have been built, the roofs would have been built with, you know, like straw or something like that, but Imagine you're inside this house, you're listening to Jesus, and all of a sudden you just see these like particles falling down and you're like looking up and all of a sudden you have this skylight and then a man is being lowered down from the ceiling. Pretty crazy. I mean, I'd be kind of like, what the heck is happening right now? And so everyone in this room is seeing this guy that they have known as the beggar, as the paralyzed man, as the burden, as the obnoxious guy on the corner of the street, always yelling for help. And now he's being lowered down. So they're probably wondering, you know, what's Jesus going to do in this situation? What's Jesus going to do with this guy who's cut line? We've been waiting here all day for the hopes of maybe having a simple conversation with Jesus, maybe just say, hey, Jesus, what's up? And this guy is coming down from the roof, demanding attention. I bet Jesus is going to tell him to get out of here. But that's not what Jesus does. Instead, Jesus looks at the man, and this is where we're going to pick up um, Mark 2, verse 5, and this is what it says. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. I want to read this again. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. So Jesus, I love this part because it, if you notice, it doesn't say seeing his faith. It says seeing their faith. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. 
And this is what's awesome is because it wasn't just Sammy. Maybe Sammy had the faith to be healed. Maybe Sammy, you know, could have gone, but he didn't. His friends took him. And because of the faith of those around him, Jesus says, because of their faith to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. You're, you're healed. You're done. And that's where this first point comes. Or point one is the faith of those around you matters. It's so important. The faith around you of those around you matters. Your friends will either carry you towards Jesus like Sammy's friends did, or they will pull you away from him. Your friends will either carry you towards Jesus or they will pull you away from him. The faith of those around you matters. Why does it matter? Why does the faith of those around you matter? Because your friends are the ones who are going to lift you up. They're the ones who are going to encourage you. They're the ones that can help push you the extra step that you can't make it. And a good example of this is my sister Kylie, technically my sister-in-law Kylie, years ago, it's probably been, I don't know, nine, ten years ago, seems like forever ago, um, Kylie was going through a really rough time in her life. And don't worry, I asked her for permission, even though she's not on the screen right now, but I did ask her for permission first. Um, you know, we, we called these times the dark ages of our family. And Kylie was really, she was really just struggling. She had made some friends that weren't the greatest friends and, um, you know, had decided just to kind of go off on her own. And it was a very scary time for our family because she was just out, she was partying, she was hanging out with these people that we just knew were not a good influence on her. She had, even though she was present in our family, she has had detached herself from our family. And she would still come hang out on a weekly basis with me and Jared and, and we talked, but you could just see that it wasn't the Kylie that we had known. And she was going through a really dark time. We were very scared for her, not knowing if we would get a call that she had been arrested, that she had, you know, been in an accident, that someone had seriously abused her, or taken advantage of her. And so all we could do was pray because when we would try to have a conversation, she wasn't ready to hear it. And so it became just this very scary time for our family where we would just say, all we can do is pray. All we can do is pray. And we'll just pray that Kylie, you know, finds Jesus in this moment, that Kylie realizes that she, you know, needs a life change. And that's all we could do. And that's why the faith of those around you matters. Because did I personally, you know, grab Kylie and be like, here's Jesus? No, but I was that stepping stone and her parents were that stepping stone. And we all were because the faith of those around you matters because we prayed. I can't tell you how many times, you know, we prayed for her. And then she would tell us later that we had prayed and then she avoided a terrible situation. Or I can remember a time where she said she was almost in a car accident and we had been praying for her that night, just different things like that, because the faith of those around you matters. You matter when you're praying for people. What you say, what you um, pray for people, that you step in faith for them, it matters. You don't know what those prayers are doing on the back side of things, and that's why it's so important. And so for Sammy's situation, the faith of his friends mattered because they believed, even when he couldn't, that Jesus could change him. And so I encourage you, if you're in a situation where you have a family member who maybe doesn't know Jesus, or you have a significant other, friends, family, significant others, if you have teachers or classmates or students who don't know Jesus, your faith and your prayers for them, they matter and they make a difference because you are beginning to weave 
that line that's going to pull them in to Jesus. So don't ever doubt that your faith and your prayers don't have an impact because they always have an impact. And we see that in Sammy's situation here where Jesus said, because of their faith, he is healed. Because of their faith, his sins are forgiven. And the thing is, is that transformation, it rarely happens in isolation. It happens in community. So some people might find that that transformation alone, but it usually happens when they're surrounded by a community of people who are praying for them, who are engaging with them, who are really just trying to be a positive influence in their life. That's where transformation happens, is when we are in community, not just isolation. And so back to verse 5 here. We focused on that first part of seeing their faith, and now we're going to look at that last part of the verse. So seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. So it wasn't just that Jesus said, you know what? You were paralyzed, now you're healed. Jesus took it to the next level. It wasn't just about healing Sammy, it was also about forgiving his sins. He didn't just say, you know what, you're going to be healed. You are now, or yeah, you're not just going to be healed, but now your sins, everything that you have been labeled as is now changed and your sins are forgiven. Because the cool thing about Jesus is that Jesus heals the source, not just the symptom. So he doesn't just heal the source of the problems. He heals the symptoms. He heals it all. He takes care of all of it. A lot of times what we want to do is instead of, you know, our, our solution tends to be to create another label for ourselves or a bigger label to cover the one that we had before. So instead of saying, you know what, I was paralyzed, now I'm healed. So now it's just, I'm healed, but you're still dealing with all of these labels that were attached to you before. So we need to remember that our labels may describe us, but our identity, who we are, our identity, which should be in Jesus, our identity in Jesus is what defines us. So our labels may describe us, but it's our identity is what defines us. And so that's why Jesus said, you know what, I'm not just going to heal the source. I'm not just going to heal you because you're paralyzed. I'm going to take away all your symptoms and I'm going to give you a new identity, which is what will now define you going forward. And so in that same chapter, Mark 2, but we're going to skip down to verse 10 now. And it says this, So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man, turns to Sammy and says, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. So I can imagine Sammy's pretty excited. I mean, he spent his whole life being paralyzed, being on the corner of the street, begging, not having much to his life, much excitement. Probably his most exciting moment was if someone dropped a couple coins in his cup at the day. But now Jesus is saying, pick up your mat and go home. So I imagine Sammy jumps up. He's excited. He's testing out his legs for the first time, jumping around, probably doing a little dance in place. And then he begins to run out the door, probably through a high five tunnel. And he's high five and everyone and he's going out and he's like, man, I'm healed. This is awesome. This is great. Everyone around him is amazed. They're praising God. End of story. Everyone lives happily ever after. Right? That's how we would think it would be. But the problem is, the problem with this is that some of us have been defined by our new identity. So we have found a new identity in Jesus. 
But the problem is we can't seem to fully get rid of the labels that we have attached to ourselves. So for me, I deal with insecurity. I have issues with anxiety, with fear. And I know my identity is in Jesus. I know that I have my identity is through him, that I am new through him. But I still, I still struggle with those issues sometimes. And it's kind of like a residue that gets left after we found our new identity. And I, the only example I can think of this is if you've ever had one of those um, sticker name tags, like if you go to a meeting or a training um, and they give you one of those, hello, my name is, and you write your name on it and you stick it to your shirt and then you forget about it and you wash your shirt. This used to happen all the time when my son was in kids church because they would put the label on the back of his shirt and I'd forget about him and wash him. And then you would end up with this outline of sticky residue. And that's kind of how our labels can be when we find a new identity, but we don't fully get rid of that label. And then we're left with this just kind of sticky residue of what used to be there and still kind of just pokes at us a little bit, whether it's divorce or unloved, failure. Um, if you struggle with addiction, you're known for being wild and crazy and people are just kind of always watching for that to happen again. You're known as being unreliable. Those are some of those labels that we don't fully get rid of that just kind of still attach themselves to us. And Sammy, even though his story in the Bible is very brief and we've read his story and it's done now for what we know of it, life still went on for Sammy. And life, everywhere he would go, he would probably hear whispers and it would be, oh, that's Sammy. He was paralyzed. Oh, that's Sammy. He was the beggar. Oh, you know, that's Sammy. He, he couldn't do anything. And I bet Sammy at some point was like, I wish I could just be known as Sammy. Why do I have to always be known as the paralyzed guy or the beggar? Why can't I just be who I am? And there's another great story of this in uh, the book of Joshua. And we're not going to turn to that. I'm just going to summarize it for you. And it's the story of Rahab. And if any of you have ever heard the story of Rahab, um, she doesn't have, she has a pretty decent part in the Bible, but we only hear about her, you know, a few times in and out of scripture. Um, but Rahab is known for her labels. If anything else, she is known for these specific labels. There's a couple of them that she's known for. One, she's known as being a Gentile, which means she wasn't Jewish. So she wasn't part of, you know, of the Jewish crowd and she was a Gentile. She was a woman and she was also a prostitute. And a prostitute is one of the things that is most, when you think of Rahab, it's probably the first thing that comes to your mind about her, that she was a prostitute. Matter of fact, she is mentioned in the Bible eight times. So eight times in the Bible, Rahab's name is mentioned. And six times she is mentioned as Rahab the prostitute. So that is the name. And what a terrible way to always be known as Rahab the prostitute. And the story of Rahab briefly is Rahab, lived in this city that Joshua and um, he had sent some spies in and they were in the middle of this big battle and Rahab helps the spies um, hide. And so she is a part of them being saved and, and ultimately the end of this battle. I don't want to spoil the story. You should look it up and read it later because it's a great story. But anyway, so we don't know Rahab as the hero or the one who saved the day. Instead, Rahab is known as the prostitute. And it's not that Rahab's past as a prostitute was too big to be forgiven. But the thing about Rahab is that her identity in God, because through this, she, she gets saved and her life is transformed because of these interactions. So it's not that Rahab's past was too big to be forgiven, but it's that her identity in God 
and her changed life and her her changed identity in God is too big for anyone to ever deny. So Rahab is known as the prostitute. And why is that? Because through Rahab's story, through Rahab, you know, helping Joshua and his spies, through Rahab's life being completely transformed, she is directly related to the lineage of Jesus. So this is before Sammy's time when this all happened, but Rahab is part of the reason why Jesus came to this world and was born. She is part of his family. And so again, it's not that Rahab's past was too big to be forgiven. It's that her identity in God is too big for anyone to deny because Rahab, the prostitute's life was changed and directly, you know, relates to Jesus coming into the world later on. And so when people talk about Rahab, sure, they'll say, you know what, Rahab was a prostitute, but then it leads with Rahab was a prostitute whose life was changed forever by Jesus and her identity in Jesus. And Jesus was born into this world to save the rest of us because of Rahab's identity and her change and her changed life. And that's a pretty epic story to have. That's a pretty epic thing to know that, that your past, you know, was, was a hard thing to overcome. And is something that unfortunately will always kind of be connected to you but it also represents a changed life. So when I asked Kylie, I sent her a text earlier this week and I said, Hey, can I just briefly talk about your testimony and about, you know, how your life was changed? And she was like, you know, I'm glad that the crap I went through can, you know, now become a testimony for others to learn from. And it's a great testimony. Is it a testimony of Kylie who was living in these dark ages, but then her life was changed and now she's married and she has a baby and she's serving the Lord and her life is completely changed. The same thing happened with Rahab. And so Sammy, back to Sammy, even though Sammy doesn't have a name, we don't know his real name, but what we do know is that Sammy relates as a life change. And even though we don't know his name, we know his purpose and his purpose was to lead others to Jesus. So when they remember Sammy, who was the crippled, paralyzed man who was the beggar and who was unemployable and who, you know, was a sinner. They also can now relate to Sammy, whose life was completely changed for Jesus. Because the great thing, and we've all heard this before, is that what the devil meant for evil, God will use for good. So what the devil tries to do to change us, what the devil tries to do to, to make us be in this lonely, dark place, God will turn for good. He did it with Rahab. He did it with Kylie. He did it with Sammy. He does it with these people. He can change their life. And so I want you to take those three words that I had you write down earlier. And again, I'm not going to make you share them, so don't get nervous that you're going to have to share these words out loud. But I want you to take these three words that describe you, and now I want you to compare them to three words that define you. So you wrote down three words that describe you, and now I want you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a phrase, and then I want you to now write three words that define you. So you're going to kind of use it like this. I used to be called whatever, now I am called this. So I used to be called insecure, but now I am called whatever that is for you. You know, I used to be fearful and now I know that my strength is in Jesus. I know that I don't have to be fearful anymore because he is my strength. He has control over my life. I don't have to be insecure because 
Jesus has made me who I'm supposed to be. I don't have to be anxious because he's with me, carrying me through every situation. And I encourage you to keep this in those moments where you struggle in those situations. I used to be poor. I used to be have lack of faith, and now I know that I can count on Jesus. I used to be an addict, but now I am free in Christ. I used to be unloved, but I am loved by Jesus. I used to be insecure, but now I'm confident. I used to think I was a mistake, that I never should have belonged anywhere, that I don't belong in this world, but now I know that I am chosen by God. And I encourage you, keep this. Keep this, because our labels are not something that need to describe us anymore. Instead, we need to take it and reverse it to what Jesus uses to define us because we are now defined by our identity in Christ. doesn't mean that your labels will go away completely. There may be some labels that you will be known for, but now instead of taking those labels and finding your identity in them, instead you're going to find your transformation in those labels and know that you have been changed, that you have been transformed, that you were brand new because of what Jesus did for you. Because the same transformation he did in Sammy, the same transformation he did in Rahab, he can do in you. And even if you find yourself having that that residue, like we talked about that sticker, if you still find that you have some of that in your life, there's still room for Jesus to help you to take that away so that your identity is fully in the positive aspects of what Jesus has created you to be. Your labels may describe the past, but you will overcome because your identity in Christ defines your future. I'm going to say that again. Your labels may describe the past, but you will overcome because your identity in Christ defines your future. Your past is the past. And now it's time to look forward to who God has created you to be, to look forward to the transformation of the life that he has given you. And so it's no longer about identifying with that, but instead looking to the identity of who God defines you to be. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you so much for your love and your freedom. God, I thank you that the labels that we have Um, attached to ourselves, the labels that we have adopted, that we felt like were a part of who we were, that you are more powerful than those labels, and that you can take those and you can transform them to use them for something so much better, so much bigger, so much more good. God, I pray that you will help us to see those labels that we have attached to ourselves, that you will help us to see the things that are holding us back from fully finding our identity in you. God, I pray that even for those around us, God, that you will help us to be um, the, the step of faith that our friends need. If we have loved ones or family members that don't know you, that we'll be able to continue to pray for them and know that our faith for their transformation matters as well. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your forgiveness and that you care so much about us that you came to this world so that we could have the opportunity to live a fully transformed life. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Jared's going to step in and uh, shut off the live, and then uh, we're going to have a little bit of discussion time.
Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.